0: Chapters twenty one and twenty two of The Long Long Trail by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty one. But the moment he was alone, shame threw Jud Boone into a perfect frenzy of rage and self hatred. He ran to the door with the revolver naked in his hand, as if even now he would call back Dreer and face him. But he heard the door close downstairs, and he hurried back to the window. Across the street, below him, the tall figure was passing, and he raised his weapon for a chance shot, balanced it a moment, and then dropped it into the holster with a groan. He sank into a chair, grinding his knuckles into his forehead, then leaped up as though under a spur, and paced the room. But the thought of Jess Dreer followed him like a ghost, and, like a ghost, kept the calm eye upon him. At length he made up his mind— it was a shameful thing perhaps to betray the word which he had pledged to jess Dreher, but to jud boone this was a matter of life and death and where he was vitally concerned he had never been in the habit of consulting the requirements of honour he went straight to the bedroom of his host saul norman and slipped in without knocking at the door He found the lamp on the table by dint of fumbling and lighted it, looking up to find Saul Norman rising in bed on one elbow, and blinking rapidly in the light. Saul Norman was prodigiously long of nose and chin, and was considered the saddest-faced man on the ranges. His face was now even longer than usual, while he gaped at the gunfighter. "'The game's off,' declared Judd, frowning at the other. "'What game?' me and charlie valentine i'm through at this saul norman swung out of bed and plunged his bony legs into trousers saul was preeminently a man of action half a minute later he was strapping on a gun and all these vital seconds he had not asked a single question now he said catching up his hat what's wrong i took on one man not two declared the gunman sullenly i took on charlie valentine for you folks you all figured that Charlie was too fast with his gun for any of you to tackle, and I was willing to have a try at him. But the new man... What new man? Jess Dreer. There was a foul oath from Saul Norman. What's he got to do with it? This, that if I jump Charlie, Dreer will jump me. Two to one, huh? Don't worry, Judd, that's just what we want. If we can get this down to mob action, everything is dead easy. We got the numbers... "'Jud Boone flushed. "'It ain't the numbers, Saul. "'He ain't going to work with Charlie. "'He'll work by himself. "'Then you'll send him the same way you send Charlie Valentine, Jud, "'and you'll collect the price for him. "'Not a bad day's work, eh?' Huh? "'He made his voice hearty as he said this, "'but Jud failed to show enthusiasm. "'He flushed as he approached the shameful truth. "'Sol, don't you know nothin' about Jess Dreer?' "'Well?' He's the fastest man with a gun that ever sunk a spur into a hoss, Sol. Why, it was him that killed Salty Moore, And I've seen Salty work. He had turned grey while he recalled Salty, and now Sol Norman nodded slowly. He understood. But there's one way round it. We'll keep Drear from coming anywheres near Carroll's saloon. He's an outlaw.' "'Nobody don't need to wait for an invitation before they plug drear. "'We'll pass the word around. "'We'll get all our boys out with something on the hip.' Judd Boone mopped his forehead. "'It's a rotten job,' he muttered. "'I don't feel no way's right about it. "'Keep him away if you can, but somehow I figure he'll get through. "'He'll be somewheres near watchin' when I face Charlie Valentine. "'but I'll have a drink.' urged Saul, studying the face of the fighter with his little shrewd eyes have a drink then you tumble into bed and have a snooze i'm going to make the rounds and get the boys together they'd be on hand anyway i'm going to make sure of having him here early but what does this drear look like i've never seen him none of the rest of the boys have he's tall big shoulders narrow waist long arms like a gorilla HE AIN'T VERY GOOD TO LOOK AT, KIND OF LEAN IN THE FACE, GOT A STRAIGHT-LOOKING EYE. HE SHUDDERED SLIGHTLY AS HE REMEMBERED THAT EYE. HE CONCLUDED, YOU JUST TELL THE BOYS WHAT I'VE TOLD YOU, AND WHEN THEY SEE Jess DREAR, THEY'LL KNOW HIM WELL ENOUGH. HE STEPPED CLOSER AND CLUTCHED THE ARMS OF SAUL WITH HIS PUDGY HANDS. SAUL, YOU GOTTA KEEP HIM AWAY, AND HE TURNED TO THE WHISKEY BOTTLE. Saul Norman left the room with three huge strides, went down the stairs with as many leaps, and burst into the night on his errand. And Judd Boone, turning the whiskey glass nervously, was comforted by the beat of hoofs that swept down the street. There was no sleep for Judd that night. Most of the time he spent in recalling the most minute details of his interview with drear and then he focused the eye of the memory on the personal appearance of the outlaw and most of all he dwelt upon the long capable deft fingers of the man in those fingers a revolver would become a living thing he felt in the meantime before dawn was well up in the sky the first arrivals appeared at the house of saul norman for this was the rallying place for the clan and their coming also cheered jud Boone. He could hear the front door slamming more and more frequently, and their noisy stamping through the lower hall to the kitchen. When he went down, they gave him a noisy reception. He was their champion, and they treated him like a king. Eagerly, to the circle of attentive faces, Judd described the outlaw and the necessity of keeping him away from the saloon. They were to shoot at sight ask their questions later for if drear ever got the drop on them or even a fair warning of his danger he would probably escape through a thousand of them judd was willing to exaggerate the prowess of drear it made his fear of the outlaw less cowardly and more like a man's dread of any power in nature jess Dreer became under his painting a cyclone against which one man or even two would be foolish to stand and the result of the speech was that every man of the norman clan looked to his weapon and then went out prepared for desperate battle by the time it was full day they had already laid their preparations and their plans of battle and by the time it was full day dan carroll went up to the room of Dreer. The big man, like Judd Boone, had not slept during the small remainder of the night, and at a signal from the gambler he went to the window. "'Look yonder.' "'Well?' asked Jess Dreer. "'What do you see?' "'A bald old boy scratching his head.' "'That bald old boy is Tom Norman, the old man himself.' He led the way to another window. "'What'd you see?' "'Why, the same thing you do, three gents sitting on a log playing dice.' "'Them three are Walter, Norman, and his two cousins, Gary and Wally. "'Now, Jess, do you begin to do a little thinking?' "'I begin to think that there's a considerable heap of Normans in this town. "'Anything else I'd ought to think? "'Why do you think they're here? "'Why, they're going to hang round and wait for the fight to come off. "'They're waiting to see Jud Boone kill Charlie Valentine. "'Wouldn't take much brains to figure that out. "'Don't it strike you that they are we might early?' they don't want to get caught in the rush go on danny and tell me what it all means if it does mean anything queer kind of queer partner them gents ain't the only ones there's others all around the saloon they're sittin on front porches they're loafin around in the alleys there's a couple of em down in the barroom now not talkin much just standin and sippin their drink like they didn't like it and lookin 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 jesse they're out there to keep you from going to the saloon. It made the outlaw whirl on him. What the devil do they mean by that? There's a whisper going around that you intend to show up, and when it comes to the pinch between Judd and Charlie Valentine, you're going to step in and take a crack at Judd. There ain't anything in it, Jess, is there? The tall man was stunned, but he gradually recovered. It's a boon, he said huskily. The skunk has started talking. He gave his word. Danny, I could have killed the hound dog and got away clean without nobody knowing I was ever near him. And now he's double crossed me. He told what? gasped Carroll. Do you mean to say that you were going to step in between Boone and young Valentine? I was, and I am. Jess, you're hanging yourself. I'd only be hurrying up something that's sure to happen sooner or later, but I still got one chance. What's that? "'If I can get back to my room after the fracas—' "'No good, Jess. "'They'll search every inch of the house.' "'That's right.' He fell silent. "'There's only one chance, then. "'If I have to make a play again Judd Boone "'with all the gang around, I'm done. "'But if Judd bluffs down Charlie, "'why then, my neck's saved.' "'But what'll I do? "'Where can I help, Jess?' "'Nothing you can do. "'These here things, Danny, just up and happens.' CHAPTER Twenty Two, Public opinion in Salt Springs was strictly neutral. On the one hand, it was felt that Charlie Valentine had overstepped the bounds within which a peaceful man should walk by his various shooting scrapes. On the other hand, there were not many who entirely approved of the Normans. They were a clannish tribe. They carried into the mountain desert the spirit with which they had lived in the Kentucky Back Hills and the spirit of the clan is not wanted west of the rockies in the large spaces where a man's malice should dissolve before he had spread it like a poison into the blood of his relations therefore when salt springs found out that if the toes of one norman were stepped upon the fists of fifty normans avenged the hurt the townsmen put their heads together marvelled at this new spirit and then began to frown The Westerner does not make up his mind suddenly. He really is more conservative than the most hidebound New Englander. He is taught from his childhood to look on the better side of a man, and if a man has not a better side, then to avoid him altogether. The reason is simple. It is dangerous to disapprove of a man who wears a gun. It is far better to keep away from him, and above all it is best to say nothing about him, lest tidings of what you have said be brought to his ear. Accordingly, Salt Springs saw the Normans, disapproved of them, and then waited in silence for something to happen. But on this day, when the Normans gathered in the streets of the town, every man armed, every man silently ugly, it was felt that they had overstepped the bounds of decorum, salt springs in a word disapproved and hitched at its gun belt and if the opposite party had not been a young mischief-maker himself there was every probability that the neutrals would have risen en masse and run the normans out of the town but as it was it was felt that this private war had best run its own course though many public-spirited men shook their heads with the knowledge that if charlie valentine fell it would be merely the beginning of constant warfare for morgan valentine himself would take up arms and when morgan valentine stirred society was shaken to the roots as for the other rumour that jess drear was mixed up in this matter and was on the side of the valentines most people were inclined to disbelieve it besides drear was to most of them a semi-mythical spirit he came from the Southland. his crimes were not of their region and the man himself was discounted compared with Judd boone a known force he was nothing but there was something so set and staged about this affair that salt springs began to grow excited before the morning was old it drifted more and more thickly toward Danny Carroll's saloon, where the meeting was to take place, and all eyes turning upon Jud Boone, who sat at a table in the corner, would then flick over to the prize saddle, which now lay at the other end of the bar, waiting for Charlie Valentine. Obviously no one could look at the saddle and then at Jud Boone without picturing the gunfight which was coming. But where was Jess Dreer? he had not been seen the loose-flung circle of the normans had espied no one even distantly resembling the descriptions of the outlaw of course no one dreamed of looking into the saloon and in the saloon least of all would they have looked into the old closet at one end of the room but here stood jess drear with the door ajar a fraction of an inch from this he could not see the bar-room but he could look down the long mirror behind the bar and in this mirror he saw perfectly at second hand all that happened he saw the crowd filter through the door a silent crowd lining up before the bar and then breaking swiftly into groups that gathered along the wall always hurrying across the line between the chair of jud boone and the door as if at any moment charlie valentine might appear in this doorway and the guns be drawn jud boone drank with a deep relish of the excitement which his presence roused the number of the mustard norman soothed his nerves and if jess Dreer were kept away from the saloon this day his triumph would never be threatened There was a sudden flurry around the door of the saloon. Everyone stood up, except Jud Boone. Then the whisper passed down the room, rose to a murmur, to a deep voice, "'Charlie Valentine is riding down the street, and he's coming alone!' Alone, and into the very teeth of all this savage clan of Normans. All at once the men of Salt Springs began to remember that Charlie Valentine was young, handsome, of good family." that in his quarrels he had never taken an unfair advantage that he had never actually killed and then they looked from the open doorway to the face of jud boone killer the contrast was perfect not even valentine's brother not even his father had come with the boy it was as though the whole family trusted everything to the sense of fair play in salt springs and that was the reason for the deep stern hum that went about the saloon sheriff claney of course was not there his habit was to attend such affairs after and not before but steve harrison made himself spokesman when he went up to gus norman look here gus he said there ain't any mystery about why you got all your men out here today." but you take my advice stay clear of trouble don't start no mob action it ain't popular round these parts and write this down in red charlie valentine is going to get a square deal and as he stepped back once more the murmur passed up and down the bar-room approving it was possible for jess drear in the closet to watch the approach of charlie valentine down the street distant voices were calling from the outdoors small at first and then growing in volume were they murmurs of admiration of sympathy Judd boone at his table finished his drink and then leaned back in his chair it was a careless attitude but the hand which hung by the gunman's side was clenched until the skin whitened across the knuckles jess drear saw all this in the mirror then he heard at the very door of the saloon a woman's voice pitched high and shrill it was calling oh charlie valentine don't go inside they're gonna murder you charlie every man in the saloon stopped in the midst of gesture or spoken word what a thrill in that girl's voice perhaps she was some old friend she had danced with charlie valentine she had known him when he was a child She had even loved him, perhaps, and now she cried this warning. The affair had been grim before. It now suddenly became filled with horror. Then followed a heartbreaking pause, a dead silence outside the saloon. No voice within. What was happening? Had Charlie Valentine paused? Had the cry of this girl broken his nerve? Was he taking her advice and turning away? was it this that accounted for the silence jess drear believing this sighed with relief and then charlie valentine stepped into the doorway it was the thing for which everyone in the saloon had been waiting and priming himself during the past hour or more and here stood charlie valentine dark against the white sunlight beyond being the centre of attention he seemed hardly more than a child defiantly he had put on a shirt of blue silk and he had a scarlet handkerchief around his neck poor fellow his very gaudiness accentuated his deadly pallor purple circles surrounded his eyes his mouth was set until the red of the lips disappeared one could understand at a glance that this youngster had not slept in expectation of the fight now he looked over the bar-room with its crowd of faces and smiled there was no mistaking it every ounce of power in his soul and body was given to make that smile his lips parted and he tried to speak he had to moisten his lips and try again before the sound would come very faintly hello boys i've come for that saddle danny dan carroll from behind the bar looked somberly at him as much as to say poor devil you've come to be killed Aloud he said, It's yours, Charlie, and a beauty, too. Bring in the buckboard for it. Yep. And Charlie Valentine walked to the saddle and put his hand on the horn of it. With one accord, every eye in the room turned toward Jud Boone. Yes, he was slowly rising. He had pulled down his hat a little. He was sauntering forward carelessly, with his hands dropped lightly upon his hips jess drear heard near his door a whisper which said it's plain murder that kid again boone it ought to be stopped but who would stop it jud boone was a known man kind of a fine-looking saddle valentine ain't it jud remarked at the voice a shock went through charlie valentine a shudder as though a powerful current of electricity had been flung through him then slowly fighting himself to make his movements calm he turned his head. His face was like death, but he forced a wan smile. A little whisper of admiration went up and down the saloon. The combatants were at length face to face, and what a contrast, as well send a stripling two-year-old to try his horns against the scarred front of some bull who has long lorded it over his range. The sneering smile of Jud Boone was a silent token of his knowledge of superior strength and the head of Valentine, held desperately high, was an equally eloquent token that he knew he was approaching his death. End of chapters 21 and 22